I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. So I think you've got to raise your hand. Don't take no for an answer. Keep asking. Because in all likelihood, women have to ask more to get the same outcomes as men. Karen Case is Executive Managing Director and President of Commercial Real Estate for CIBC US, a large banking organization. After a scary health diagnosis, she realized that there was not enough balance in her life and she embraced much more self-care in her daily routine. One issue, she says, which impedes women's advancement is the tendency for male managers to often give challenging assignments to other men. If we want these opportunities, we must be proactive and ask for them. Karen discusses the importance of talking back to the inner voice in our heads, which may cause us to be less confident. What a wonderful podcast this is. I hope you will enjoy listening to Karen. Today I have with me Karen Case, who is Executive Managing Director and President of U.S. Commercial Real Estate for CIBC U.S., a large banking organization. She oversees the business units that develop and manage real estate finance, banking relationships with dynamic and growing commercial real estate developers, investors, owners, and operators nationally. Karen is a member of the CIBC U.S. Region Executive Committee. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Susan. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. Glad to have you here. So glad you're here. Karen was president of commercial real estate with Private Bank in 2007, and CIBC acquired Private Bank about three years ago. Is that right? That's correct. Good. And it's been a great partnership. Uh, You know, I would say if you talk to my clients and my colleagues, we do everything today as we did before, but now we've got more resources. Karen, we're in the same business, uh, commercial real estate lending. I began in banking, uh, moved to commercial mortgage banking in 1993. And people think of banks, commercial banks, as being pretty conservative, pretty institutional. And often when we think of, when we say those words, we think of men, perhaps white men. Uh, You've had a very successful career in banking as a woman, Um, what do you think the keys to your success have been? Well, I think most people, Susan, point to hard work. I mean, but that's a given. And I think in addition to hard work, it takes equal parts of creativity, integrity, and inspiration, right? I think we have to live by our values, our own personal values. For me, those are things like fairness and loyalty and treating people the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably the best thing I've ever learned was to hire people smarter than you. Yes. Right. A's yes. hire A's and B's hire C's. Yes. And so having a team around me that is, you know, super smart, I think has made a real difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you there. I try to hire people who complement my strengths, some things I'm not strong in. So it's a matter of strength, but you really want to hire winners. And what you're saying is people that are mediocre are going to hire people that are not threatening to them, which are C players, right? Exactly. Yeah. It all goes back to A's hire A's and B's hire C's. Yes, I agree with that. Anything else in your career that you can point to as far as success? We all, you know, working hard, like you say, is a given. Um, 
being creative, being resourceful, right? In our business, it's very, it's, it's complex, but we have to find ways of getting over obstacles over and over and over again in our deals, right? Yes, absolutely. And to me, I also, um, I think you've heard me use the phrase, don't let the institution dampen the inspiration. And to me, that means not always assuming that the status quo is good enough, that the people in charge are always right, or because that's the way we've always done something, we should continue to do it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always worked for large companies. I thrive on the structure. But inherent in big companies, you find things like bureaucracy and rules and policies, process, procedures, uh, maybe even some politics now and then. But to me, it's important to challenge those and to allow our teams to challenge us about why and how we do things. Right? We need to dare our companies and ourselves to think outside the box, to be innovative. And I guess I think of it this way. If we all agreed with each other, we wouldn't need all of us. Mm-hmm. And that also speaks directly to the importance of inclusive and diverse teams. Mm-hmm. It's the only way we'll recognize new opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speak more to that, uh, inclusivity and uh, diverse. I mean, there are two different things. They're connected, but they're interconnected, but they are different. You can be diverse by let's hire a woman, let's hire a person of color, but truly including that person. Talk about that within the bank. I I think about um, companies talk about enhancing their recruiting of Black and Latinx candidates. They throw out numbers like 10 to 15% or 20% of entry-level jobs, you know, will be from uh, minority candidates. And I always say, where does that number come from? You know, what makes that the right number? And I view it more like Michelle Larson, CEO of Chicago's Adler Planetarium. And she once said in a meeting, and I've told her how this resonates with me. She said, I don't think 50% of astrophysicists need to be women. I just think that any woman who wants to be an astrophysicist should have that opportunity. Hmm. And so I feel that way about all of our hiring, that everybody should have the opportunity to do what they want to do and to work towards success. Mm -hmm. And by having a diverse group um, that we work with, we will be more innovative, we'll take more ideas into account, and we'll be able to execute better. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that in this podcast several times where uh, people – there is science around the and there are statistics around the fact that if you have a diverse, inclusive group, if your executive team looks diverse uh, in terms of gender, color, LGBTQ, whatever, uh, that it is more successful. There is more success. There's there is more money made. Um, there is more success. Uh, that, so there's science around that. But what we find is that often people hire people that look like them. You know, if you're a white guy and your client has a son that wants to be hired, I mean, that goes on a lot. And so, you know, getting out of that mindset that, you know, they don't have to look like you, you don't have to see yourself in them, 
hire the person that may be a little different, but bringing in some diversity within the organization, right? Absolutely. Because then we have so many more people to contribute, so many more ideas uh, to consider. Yeah. Yeah, I want to go back to something you said about challenging the institution. Um, when I sold my company to Northmark in 2014, I was a little nervous about it because I thought, okay, I'm going from this small company that I lead and that I control everything to a big company again. And I was a little worried about, okay, we've always done it this way. This is the policy. You can't do that. And that that is the way many institutions like a large bank like CIBC is often. But it sounds like your approach is different, that you know, even though there's a policy, even though this is the way it's always been done, to when it's the right thing to do to challenge that, right? And how, how have you gone about doing that in a way that, that has worked? Well, I think you need to be open-minded. You need to listen to other people's ideas and expand upon those. I, I think most important in this uh, discussion, though, is that once a decision is made to go in a particular direction, you need to be on board. And you can't be that person that says, well, the organization didn't go in the direction I thought, and so I'm going to continue to battle that. I think that you need to express your ideas, you need to wave the flag, and if you go in another direction, you got to be on board. You that's have to true. be part of the team. Mm -hmm, that's true. It's like being a good soldier in the army, and that's pretty. I mean, that's very military. That's very you don't you don't fight the system. But what you're saying is, as you're talking about what should be done um, and considering everything, and everybody's got their opinions, that's the time to express your opinion about it. But if somebody on high above you has decided this is what we're doing, right? You have to go along. Well, you and you to. also have to pick your battles, Susan, right? You have yes. to save it for the things that matter most. And, you know, don't sweat the small stuff and don't be the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. Have you always done that? Or were, did you do things differently when you were younger like me, like fight it all the time? <laughs> I, I think I'm doing better. Some people might disagree, but it is something that I certainly had to work on over the years because I, mm -hmm. um, I do have strong opinions. Yes, I do too. And there's a way to say things, you know, and you don't have to pick every battle. That's true. Um, well, tell me, where did you grow up? Tell me about parents, siblings. Um, so I uh, was born and raised on Long Island in New York. And my dad was a dentist and very family oriented. Um, unlike other practices, he arranged his patient appointment schedule. So he would see patients from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. So he was home for dinner every single night. Wow. Uh, I have one sister. She's four years older than me. Um, and I would say the passion I have for what I do has largely been nurtured um, certainly by many people along the way, but my mother has been a terrific influence. Uh, she's 88 mm. in perfect physical and cognitive health, a very spirited woman, very um, intellectually curious. And she set the example for my sister and me throughout our lives. Um, she was a working mom, the only one I knew. And um, 
one of my earliest memories is attending her graduate school graduation. I was four. Maybe it's just the picture that makes me remember it. But mom became a substitute teacher in the elementary school my sister and I went to. And I would say having her in the building was both a blessing and a curse. Um, Yes. But then then she led the adult education program in the school district. And then she went on to be executive director of the Catherine Gibbs School, which was a college focused on the career education of young women. And then she retired and became a journalist and a blogger and a senior ambassador for American Express. And as an octogenarian, she was a Broadway show critic on Broadway.com. And you can still find her letters to the editor being published in the New York Times travel section and the American Airlines magazine, well, when people were traveling. So my mother is- That's really cool. Yeah, she is just really cool. Um, I aspire to be her when I'm 88. (laughs) We all. You know, active and doing things. Yeah. We all want to be her. Yes. Yeah. Um, Is your dad still with us? uh, So, no, my dad passed away a number of years ago. And uh, but my mother is probably the busiest person I know. Um, And uh, and let's see, I have three children. Uh, Mm -hmm two girls and a boy, and all three of my children and their spouses are ambitious, hardworking, and have very impressive careers. And lucky for me, since the onset of the pandemic and everybody working from home, I've actually seen a great deal of them. And I've had the opportunity to see them in action, you know, listening to them on their video calls and reading through their PowerPoints and Um, And I'm just super proud of them. And the best Mm -hmm. part of all is that as of this weekend, all three of them and their spouses will be living and working in Chicago permanently. Oh, that's fantastic. Any grandchildren at this point? uh, Call me in November and I'll tell you, you know, (laughs) yeah, uh, (laughs) the first one is due in November. (laughs) Ah, okay. Oh, it's very exciting. You're going to love it. Uh, so that's exciting. That's one of the blessings of the pandemic of 2020, right? You get to yeah. see more of your kids, right? Exactly. So what what does your husband do? Uh, my husband is in real estate development. Uh, so we have a lot of uh, crossover. Uh, we've been married 40 years. We just had our anniversary this past weekend. Uh, and he primarily focuses on multifamily development uh, throughout the United States. Okay. Have you ever financed one of his projects? I'll never tell. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, there was one a number of years ago where he was an investor and we did the financing and, you know, um, I I probably, yeah, I probably have more conflicts of interest with my family and the companies they work for than anybody else. And, you know, the, uh, our general counsel at one point said to me, you know, Karen, most people's families are school teachers or work at Sears. And why is it that everybody in your family works for somebody that's a client of the bank? And, uh, <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. No, we celebrated 38 years of marriage this weekend. Well, so, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Long marriage. Uh, he's always been, I'm sure your husband has been too, very supportive. My teammate 
you know, my partner in this so we could all pull it together. Yeah, it, it, we all really have to be rowing in the same direction mm-hmm. to make it work. And, yeah. you know, looking at travel schedules and child care and what happens when child care doesn't show up or, um, you know, somebody is sick. And, you know, it, it really is a partnership. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, I was one of the few children that had a working mother in the 60s as well. So we have that in common. But they, you know, they were uh, my mom, as your mom was, an, an example, you know, and I learned a lot from her. She was a mentor to me. So um, yeah. talk about the choices you make as a career woman and a mother, sometimes in favor of the job. You know, we both had long careers. Sometimes it's like the job comes first. Sometimes family has to come first. Um, I know that I share some of your feeling about regretting not being there at certain times. But as you've seen, my kids are successful on their own, healthy, you know, and so um, they do okay. They're, they come from loving, stable homes, long marriages. And what would you say about the guilt that moms feel sometimes about, oh, I wish I'd been there, regretting not being there? What, what advice would you give? Well, you know, we make choices and there are trade-offs. And the choices we make may not always be the right ones, right? You decide that you're going to go to the soccer game and miss the meeting at the office. And it turns out, you know, your child sat on the bench the whole game and the meeting turned out to be pretty important. Or there are times you went to a meeting and skipped the game and your kid, you know, scored three goals and the meeting turned out to be a waste of time. Um, you know, it, it, we do the best we can. Yes. I will say my kids never, ever complained that I worked or that I worked really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, they will tell you that I was always there for them at their games, their plays, the speech contest, whatever it was, mm-hmm. you know, but I think about things like one of my daughters had a friend in high school whose mother was ill. And when my daughter called me to tell me that she had sadly just passed away, I was in an airport and I was heading home, but I was two hours from being there. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And my daughter and I talk about this all the time because I was sure that she was traumatized, that I wasn't there. And she, the only reason she remembers it is because I keep talking about it, (laughs) you know, and you know, it, it's hard, yeah. right? We're balancing friends and family right. and health and work and all of these things. And, um, you know, we, we have to be very careful to prioritize. But, you know, sometimes those priorities change depending on mm-hmm. what's going on. That's right. And, you know, you and your husband both worked and, you know, we tried to, if I couldn't make a game or if I couldn't make something, he was always there and vice versa. You know, one of us was always there, but usually both of us were there, you know, at the things. But sometimes we miss things, and um, but it's part of having a career and being a mother. I didn't want to miss either one, right? Yes, although there was one summer when my son played 112 baseball games, and I will say that um, that that my husband was probably there for all 112 games, and I probably was only there for 85 or 90 of them. Yeah. Well, I think you did pretty well. <laughs> Talk about this doesn't come naturally to all women, and that is confronting, uh, taking on difficult situations, often I think there's a social expectation or expectation in the workplace by 
either men or or women, people, don't make waves, be nice, go along. And sometimes there are situations where we need to confront, we, we, we need to disagree, we do disagree, and it doesn't always feel natural. Uh, talk about confrontation and taking on difficult situations head on. Um, well, confrontation isn't easy. No one likes conflict. So when I know I'm walking into a tough situation, I really try and plan ahead. I try to script my phrasing. I think about my word choice and practice, practice, practice. It keeps away the emotion, and it's important in those situations not to be emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, I shared with you that uh, five years ago I had breast cancer. Yes. And I rehearsed in my head over and over and over again how I would tell my children, who were adults at the time, it, you know, I thought about what would I say? You know, what's the right time to tell them? So that when that time came, it was easy. It was almost an out-of-body experience because the last thing I wanted to be was over-emotional, which would just scare them. Mm -hmm. And I would also say that in conversations like these and, you know, now moving more to the workplace, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid of awkward silence, right? You say (laughs) your piece and then you be quiet and you wait for a response. Yeah, that's great advice. I've I've done it. I've yeah. used it. It works. Yes. You know, it's like when you have a client yelling at you on the phone and you just listen and then they realize they're doing all the yelling and you're not <laughs> yelling back. <laughs> yes. You know. <laughs> I used or, to yell back. I, but <laughs> I don't anymore. Right. Yeah. Learn. Yeah. Silence works. Right? And then I think about like, let's say you're approaching your manager about a compensation increase, right? You think about what's the worst that can happen. You'll get fired. No. Well, if you get fired for something like that, then you're probably in a toxic environment and it's time to go anyway, right? You want to, you know, I think it's worse to go home and look in the mirror and regret that you didn't confront the issue head on. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, um, I'd like to come back to the breast cancer diagnosis, but let's keep with this theme right now, and that is the difficult conversations. And it sounds like you do what I do, which is writing out what I want to say. And it sounds geeky, you know, but it works for me. I write out what I want to say. I practice it many times in the car, many times at home, out loud, just so I make sure I stick to what I want to say. And I often tell women, stick to the facts, keep the emotion out of it, stick to the facts. You know, I got a I got this kind of bonus last year. This year I would expect to get a higher bonus because I've done this and that. We've had a successful year. And and stick to the facts, be professional. Is that is that your approach Absolutely. as well? Absolutely. Once you get emotional, yeah, once you get emotional, you, you know, lost all of your uh energy and you know, the direction in which you were trying to go. Right. We're going to talk about emotion and crying too, but um, let's go back to the breast cancer diagnosis. I was going to talk about that toward the end, but uh, I assume you're healthy now. Everything's good? Perfectly healthy. Yeah, good. Um, you know, it, 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 thank you for asking. And, you know, it was a, uh, a surprise 
Um, my mother had had breast cancer, uh, you know, uh, probably 15 years before I was diagnosed. And um, But I was diagnosed in late 2014, and I was lucky. Um, my long-term, long-time internist assured me it wasn't life-threatening. So once I heard that, he, you know, I think verbatim, he said, Karen, you're not going to die. And so I got a little comfortable. And although I underwent an eight-hour surgery, I didn't need chemotherapy or radiation. Um, so again, I was very fortunate. But as I think back on the experience, you know, I think first I tried to keep things in perspective, right? It's like I said earlier, if I became over-emotional, so would my family and my friends, my coworkers, you know, everybody in my sphere, and that would spiral downward. Mm-hmm. I didn't go on social media. I didn't join breast cancer, you know, groups. I didn't want to hear other stories because I figured they may or may not relate to me and my situation. Mm -hmm. I didn't go for a second opinion or a third opinion. I trusted the medical professionals and I followed their guidance to a T, which included a two-month medical leave. Mm. And that brings me to my second point. I luxuriated in the time off. Good. And whoever would have thought that could happen, right? So I felt nearly 100% within about 10 days of uh, being released from the hospital. But my doctors, I think, recognized that I had a type A personality yes, <laughs> and told me to stay away from work, stay away from the office. So my work family stepped in, they stepped up. Because that's the culture we worked hard to create over so many years. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't have been more grateful. I did read my work emails every morning, but I didn't answer any of them. Um, Because I knew if I did, I would go down that rabbit hole and get sucked into the day to day. Mm. And, um, And I did lots of things. I walked everywhere, even though it was winter. I read books. I binged watched some TV. I took classes at the health club and spent tons of time with my kids and husband, who, of course, also stepped up. And while I didn't organize my photos as I had planned or cook great meals, I realized how important it is to take time for myself and those who matter to me. Yes. And while I always thought I would work forever, that they'd carry me out of the office in a box, (laughs) I saw that there could be a next chapter that didn't have to mean 14 days in the office. Yes. But let me clarify, I do not have any retirement or post-retirement plans in place as we speak. We'll we'll make sure that uh, anyone listening to this, and it might even be the title of yours, (laughs) Karen's not (laughs) going to retire anytime soon. But the word luxuriate, we we don't do that a lot as women, people that work in commercial real estate. It is pressure filled. It takes a lot of time. It takes hours. It takes patience, uh, relationship building. I mean, it's it's tough. This is a tough business. And to take two months to do that, uh, and one of the things we talked about was one regret you had was not taking enough time for yourself over your career. And here's an opportunity, maybe a wake-up call to you that, 
hey, there's there are other things besides working that I really want to focus on, right? How, how did things change for you, your perspective? Um, you know, one of the things that you and I didn't really talk much about, Susan, is that part of my work is also my civic activity. And mm-hmm. I've been on lots of boards and I do lots of fundraising. So I tie that all in together. But probably my biggest regret is that I didn't devote enough time for me. And I think the one thing that um, got left out was working out didn't seem to fit into the routine on mm-hmm. a regular basis. You know, my husband, Jay, and I did take vacations from time to time without the kids. We went on date night every single Saturday night. That is cool. And that is that is revolutionary. Yeah. I don't know anybody that has done that. That is really good for your marriage. That's why you've been married 40 years. I, I guess. And I never missed a manicure. That's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, I do. I haven't either. Uh, it's very important to have good nails, good jewelry, and uh, do your hair. So exactly beautiful. Well, that's that's great to hear. And you, uh, I'm sure you're like me. I am very um, diligent about getting my mammograms every year. It's very important to catch it early, like you did, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to take care of you. Right. Good. Um, let's talk about let's talk about emotion and crying. Uh, and I've done it in the workplace, usually when I was younger. And often the crying for me was because I was so angry and frustrated. It really wasn't that I was sad. You know, I was just so angry at the situation and things weren't going my way. And, you know, it was frustration. Um but it can throw male managers off. And we talked about male managers giving challenging assignments to men, less challenging assignments to women. And you said, well, I think, it, I think maybe it's they're afraid we're going to cry, right? If we don't get something or if they give us a challenging assignment and it doesn't work out. Talk about that. So first, let's talk about crying okay. in the workplace. All right. Don't do it. <laughs> Right. I, I, I really I bite agree. your lip, go into the restroom, go into the stairwell, take a walk around the block. My my daughter last night over dinner told me she pinches her leg hard enough that she thinks about how her leg hurts instead of the emotional issue at hand. Men just don't know what to do about criers. It's <laughs> awkward. <laughs> It is. It's, it's and I don't want to be doing it, right? We don't want to be crying, you know. And when I can feel the emotion come up, and I don't, it doesn't happen often, right? It, today, I mean, I'm 62, and so it doesn't happen. But they don't. They have trouble. They have trouble with it because they don't know quite right. how to handle it. They they're married usually, and I'm sure their wives, you know, perhaps maybe cry, and then they know they're in trouble or they've said something wrong and they feel badly. So. I think there's so we're crying is one thing, not getting challenging assignments or another, uh, but we talked about them sort of joined. Yeah, so you know it's interesting. I, I've had some, uh, you know, women even in my organization who've talked about how male managers may give them easier projects or assignments because they want them to be successful, right? That's what they say. And so, but then when the juicy assignments come around, they say, well, you don't have the experience to take those on. But they haven't given her the experience. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and things like at performance review time, a male manager will say to the women working for them, hey, you're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. And to the men, they give more meaningful feedback on how to improve performance. And again, maybe it's back to their fear of hurting feelings and maybe somebody will cry. But that makes it very difficult for women to advance. They don't get the great assignments and, um, and, and they don't get the meaningful feedback. What would you say to women then? I, I think we talked about you got to ask for it, right? It's like I see this assignment here. It looks like something that would really interest me and be a challenge to me. Ask to take it on. Would you agree? I, I absolutely agree. If you don't let people know that you're interested, they won't know that you're interested right. and that it's important to you. Um, yes. Yes. So speak up, ask for the challenging assignments. I think sometimes men maybe don't think that uh, women can handle the challenging assignment for whatever reason. And I'm I'm not suggesting that they maybe don't think we're up to it or we're not smart enough or something, but there's a there's a comfort level perhaps giving that assignment to, you know, again, somebody that looks like me, uh, my guy, you know, it's like he can handle it. He's going to do it. And then it's like a little bit of patting on the head, kind of like keep doing what you're doing. You're doing fine. You know, uh, I've experienced that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and we've talked about this. Women sometimes make the mistake of thinking that if we work hard, it's enough. Yes. But I think we have to work harder at articulating our desire to get promoted, to serve on committees, to lead teams, or capture great opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. We need to put ourselves out there, right? And as children, we were told to be good girls, right? And good girls aren't pushy. But we've got to be proactive. We've got to ask to be involved mm -hmm. and to lead high-profile projects. And I think of an example in the mid-90s when I worked for LaSalle Bank. Our real estate team, was we were opening offices outside of Illinois. And my manager was looking amongst his troops for someone to open and run these offices. And I'm pretty sure I wasn't on the list. I mean, in his mind, the fact that I had three school-age children meant I wouldn't want to travel. Right. Now, you probably agree with me. I don't know what he was thinking. I had three school-age children. Of course, I wanted a night or two <laughs> by myself in a hotel room. Right? I understand that. <laughs> but, but I sat him down and I said, don't discount me because I have a family. That's not your decision to make. Please give me the opportunity. And he did. And it worked out fabulously. Mm -hmm. And so I think you've got to raise your hand. Don't take no for an answer. Keep asking. Yeah. Because in all likelihood, women have to ask more to get the same outcomes as men. I, I don't know why that is, but it just seems it's, to be true. Yeah, it's what we have to do. And we've talked on the podcast to a number of women who said, you know, don't make assumptions, like you're saying, don't make assumptions about what I will and won't do, what I'm willing to take on just because of my family situation. Don't make succession plan decisions considering what my husband does and whether he'll be transferred. You know, it shouldn't be any different than the guys, but it is. And so, therefore, we have to take action to speak up about what we want. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our company... Um, 
has a big push uh, around um, diversity and inclusion, equity around race, gender, LGBT. Uh, and there was a new committee formed called Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Um, and I wasn't asked to be on the committee. Uh, there are, you know, are 400 people or so in my company or more. And, and so I sent an email to the top two guys and said, you know, I'm interested in this. I do this podcast. I believe in racial equity. And uh, so I, I wonder how I can be involved. So they invited me to be on the committee, and I am on the committee now. So <laughs> I spoke up. If I wait around for them to ask me, it probably wouldn't have happened. But it's where I'm passionate. And I can see you do a lot of nonprofit, a lot of board work, and that gives me juice too. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it, it, I think that we owe it to our communities to be involved because we do have uh, influence and we need to use it to really make our world a better place. I agree. I agree with you. It's kind of like voting, right? Yes. I see your T-shirt that says vote on it. Our listeners won't see it, but it says vote. Very important. We need to vote uh, this November. Um, you and I notice some of the same things. Uh, when we see a group formed, uh, I often notice the fronts of magazines, some of our industry magazines where you know, you've got this development company and you got six white guys sitting there and you think, you know, where are the women, you know, uh, or you see, uh, you had said there's, there's an in international industry in our business that appointed 11 trustees to the board, which were elected and they were all men, 10 of which were, uh, white, white men, uh, one of color and connect media recently listed their top young leaders, which were all men. And the interesting thing is you and I notice that as women, and I'm not speaking to race here, but I'm speaking to the women's side. You know, like my question is, where are the women? Why, why didn't you include any women in this? Um, and speak to that, if you would. I wish I had an answer for this. You know, the hardest part for me on, you know, the reference you made about the uh, industry association, 11 trustees, uh, all men, 10 were white. For me, the hardest part was that when that slide went up on the screen, I texted one of the other trustees who was on the call about it. And I said, wow, look at that. Can you believe it? And his response was, oh, I hadn't noticed. Because he's a guy. Like, how do you not <laughs> notice that? Yeah, like, I'm still upset about it, you know, I, it yeah. still makes me emotional. And I have to add that immediately following the next item on the agenda was the CEO of the organization um, giving a presentation about the importance of diversity and inclusion <laughs> in our industry. And it just seemed a little disingenuous to me. Yes. You know, I, I, I just didn't get that at all. Right. And um, I have been known... Uh, to uh, respond to organizations that put together seminars or now webinars where there's not a diverse either gender or um, race and ethnicity of speakers on the panels or whatever. And, um, and I said, if you can't find women, please take me off your mailing list. 
just not interested. <laughs> I've done that. I have done that. I've sent I've sent uh, emails to the editor of magazines and publishers of magazines and said, you've got all white guys in this magazine. There's not one woman. There's not a person of color. I mean, until they notice, until that group notices, number one, and until we speak up and do something about it. And I don't know what that is. Maybe speaking up um, at all. You had told me about a situation where when you were with a bank, there were 25 women at the bank. Someone asked a question about why are there so few women in the executive ranks in, in this organization? And what did he say? So this was the uh, CEO of the company. Um, and, you know, as, as you said, there were the top 25 women at the organization. And um, when that question was asked, why are there so few women in the executive ranks? He rambled on for like four or five minutes, I don't know, it felt like an hour, about how women had babies and they chose to stay home. And I looked around the room and first of all, no fewer than 20 of the 25 women in the room had at least two or more kids, yeah. right? So collectively, more than 50 kids. And, and so the, what I look at is shame on us that we didn't call him out on it. Yeah. I'm at a point in my career where, you know, I, there was a point in my career where I wouldn't have said anything, but it would have bothered me a lot. And we would have all talked about it. Like the women, like, can you believe that he said that, you know? Exactly. Uh, but now, you know, and I hope other women that are in their mid-career do this. And that is speak up and say, you know, it's interesting you should say that. We're all, we've all been, um, risen here at the organization and we have children. <laughs> I don't know how that would affect the person that spoke up. I don't know, but I think we have to speak up. Um, I have a little segue from that conversation. A few years ago, I invited two young men uh, in our organization to come to a luncheon for crew, which is a commercial real estate executive women. Yes. Because I knew that the speaker who happened to me be a man was from an organization where they had a particular interest. And these two guys didn't work for me. Um, but I knew of their involvement with that group. And so in the cab going over to the luncheon, I said, oh, you know, I forgot to tell you, this is a women's organization. And, you know, just, just so you know, walking in, so you're not surprised. And they were fine with it. So during the meet and greet before lunch, as everybody was, you know, drinking their iced tea and Diet Coke, <laughs> I couldn't believe how many women, they were like hens. They, they would say to the men, oh, you're so brave for being here. And I thought nobody ever, you know, consoled me, you know, when I'd walk into a room of 100 or 300 or 500 men and there would be one or two or maybe three women. Yes. But the kicker was that a few weeks later, I was having dinner with a couple of my male peers and I told them the story. And they both looked at me. Now, they both have adult women uh, adult daughters Children. in professional careers. Yes. And they both looked at me and said, why would you ever take them to a lunch like that? What were you thinking? Oh, wow. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like we, we do this all the time. We go to organizational events, industry events, and we're in the very small minority. 
and we walk in and you know try to join conversations and things and well at least we don't wear those blue suit white shirt and little silk bow ties anymore <laughs> yeah that was 1985 for me i had a hundred of those little white those little white the white shirts and the bow ties so this has been great karen I, i've loved this let me ask one more question as we wrap up what have you done to combat self-doubt when it comes up and talk about fear i mean there's a lot at stake in our businesses and our uh, these careers we have in commercial real estate, and sometimes you know our our confidence can be um, can be challenged, and uh, self esteem and fear. How how what advice would you give to women about this? Well, this might surprise people who know me, but sometimes it's hard to speak up in meetings for fear of sounding dumb. Yes, right. I, I'm a big Madeline Albright fan, and. She said, I would often want to say something in a meeting, you know, the only woman at the table. And I think, okay, well, I don't think I'll say it. That may sound stupid. And then some man says it and everybody thinks it's completely brilliant. <laughs> and you're so mad at yourself for not saying not it. Not saying it. Right. And so I think about that a lot. And I think that we need to focus on developing skills to eliminate that, that inner voice of self-doubt. Right. Yes. Somebody once said, turn off the radio station in your head that points out your failures. Mm. And, you know, we've all read the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yes. I think it's a good book to it read is. every couple of years just to remind yourself Very and think book. about what would you do if you weren't afraid? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. How, how would you respond? And so I, I, those are the things that I try to mm -hmm. think about is if I wasn't afraid, what would I do? What would I say? How would I react? Yes. And um, the fear is natural, uh, by the way. And I started a company and I, I had plenty of times in my career where I was really afraid. And it's that kind of cold sweat, heart pounding fear. And you just have to do it anyway. You have to have the courage to get through it. You have to think of it as adrenaline as opposed to fear. Yeah, I do like adrenaline. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I still do. But um, great advice. Great advice. Karen, this has been great. Thanks for joining me today. And uh, congratulations on your career. It's uh, been, it's really wonderful to see, see your career and how successful you've been. And I related to a lot of what you had to say. And I think it'll be great. Well, Susan, this has been so much fun for me. I really appreciate it. Uh, spending time with you today. Great. Thanks again. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.